You're listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast, a weekly show of our Sunday sermons that give you a way to connect with God, grow in faith, and find wholeness. Thanks for joining us. Here's the message. So many of us do it. We get into bed, we turn off the lights, and we look at our phones to check Twitter to see what's happening up, happening in, in the world. I, I was going to grab my phone to, to demonstrate doing it, and thankfully I put my phone down on the table, so I can't do it. But we look at Twitter, I look at Twitter, we see that coronavirus infections are up, we see the economy is creating, we see the president said something else, there's concern about peaceful transitions of power, whatever. And you incessantly scroll down the feed into this bottomless doom and gloom news for hours. The glare from your phone lights your face with its eerie glow. Your thumb seems to have a mind of its own and scrolls on and on. A pit of despair forms in your stomach. But despite all this, you can't stop. After all, it's 2020 and doom scrolling has become a national pastime. (laughs) This is according to one author. I wonder if you can relate. Now, I can't tell you how many times I found myself doing this very thing, scrolling on and on and on. And often I'll, I'll, I'll hop from like Twitter to Facebook to a news app, just looking for like, what's the worst possible news out there that I can find? Uh, it shouldn't be any mystery while I have trouble getting to sleep at night. And yet there I am nearly every evening, even, even sometimes with the TV on, sitting next to my wife on the couch, and I'm just doom-scrolling Twitter, looking for the worst news, seeing how many COVID deaths there are, how many infections, all of that. Even again, when I'm trying to fall asleep, I'll pull up my phone and doom-scroll Twitter, leading me into this vortex of despair. When's the last time you've done this? Was it last night? Was it the night before? And if and when you do this, do you notice, do you notice what's going on in your body? Like, I don't know about you, but I've noticed like of late, the last few weeks, just like the tension and tightness in my back and shoulder muscles. And I, I gotta believe like it's related, like the, you know, the shoulder tightening, the, the heart rate increasing, the mind racing, like, We're essentially punishing ourselves. Like, that's what we're doing. We're punishing ourselves. And and the irony is we're doing it all within the comfort and the safety of our home. It's quite bizarre when you think about it. I mean, for most of us, the threats and the dangers on social media may, they may cause us some discomfort and harm in time, but at least at the moment, again, at the moment, we're sitting in the relative comfort of our home, probably sitting on our couch or laying in our bed. I mean, it's not as if there's a literal, you know, tree crashing through our roof or marauders trying to break down our front door or a flood sweeping our house away. Yet often we've doom scrolled through so much bad news that our body and our mind feel as though there's a disaster right out in front of our door. In short, through the medium of social media and our mobile phones, we've allowed the surrounding anxiety of our world to overtake us. 
And before long, we're crafting our own tweets about how bad things are, we're retweeting scary stories, and we're waking the next morning with this pervading sense of gloom and doom. Trust me, that's how I wake up many mornings. It's hard not to be this way, as one author said, because our advanced society constantly keeps us often in simultaneous touch with one another, it's difficult not to be caught up in this surrounding anxiety. Very much an apt description for our life and our world today. And if you'd believe it, this, this quote I just read, it was written before the advent of social media. I mean, it sounds like it could be written yesterday, but it seems like an apt description for Twitter. The surrounding anxiety. What a, what a metaphor for Twitter. And because of the wide-ranging reach and influence of social media, it's becoming more and more difficult to escape. But no matter where we're at politically, social media platforms are constructed, they're built, they're manipulated, so that they herd us together, inhibiting individualism, lowering our pain thresholds, and causing us to regress emotionally. And if it sounds bad, it's because it is bad. As one psychologist said, our minds are wired to look out for threats. The more time we spend scrolling, the more we find those dangers, the more we get sucked into them and the more anxious we get. It's a really unhealthy combination. And it's a vicious cycle. So so what can we do to stop the doom scrolling and the vicious cycle of the vortex of despair? So we're in the second week of our Serenity Now series. Last week you heard Paul introduce our series, talk about this thing called family systems theory. And he he talked about death and and our anxiety surrounding that. And the basic gist of family systems theory is that members of a family are intensely connected to one another, connected emotionally, (laughs) connected emotionally. We may not always feel like it physically, especially now. Trust me, it doesn't feel like it now, but emotionally we are immensely connected. Whether it's mom or dad or child, because of the nature of the family, when one member of the unit is upset, the rest of the family often becomes upset. Uh, This saying, and forgive me, it's a bit misogynistic, but I think it represents the saying, well, you know, when mom ain't happy, no one's happy. Like, that kind of represents what the, the basic concept of the idea is about. And I'll try not to bore you with complex definitions and psychological jargon, but the basic principle is that like a family, an idea of emotional connection and reactivity extends beyond the nuclear family unit itself all the way to the broader society at large. In short, in time, People within a community, even a nation, all the people in our nation find themselves, find ourselves morphing into a homogenous or a similar unit, failing to think and act for themselves, acting and reacting in accordance with the surrounding emotionality. I mean, you hear people on social media talk about sheep and going along with a crowd like that's this is basically the gist. And I know we all think that we're not that person. Oh, I'm not the sheeple or the person that's just going along with the crowd. But the truth of the matter is we all do it. We all do it. 
And when it happens, like, trust me, when this happens, and we all do it, I do it all the time, when this happens, bad things happen. We need to look no further than the Bible for a great example of this. So in, in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, it's an early section of the Bible that describes the early history and formation of the ancient people of Israel, we see, the great, we, we see a great example of people behaving in this emotionally unhealthy way. So in the early days of the nation of Israel, the people were held together by this loose conglomeration of the tribes of, of these people, and there was no real hierarchy or ruler. Rather, there was these people called judges who, who were these like quasi-governmental people who exercised more of a spiritual authority and were seen as being, uh, seen as being implemented by God, seen as being appointed by God. So one of the most famous and successful judges was one guy named Samuel. In fact, it's why the book First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament, in the first part of the Bible, they're named after him. That's why they're called Samuel, right? And he guided the people of Israel through a relative, relative, uh, if you read the early history, there's, it's all, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. But in Samuel's time, there's a relative peace, prosperity, and security. And as this guy Samuel neared the end of his life, he put his sons in charge. Kind of good old nepotism, if we say. Uh, but the people of Israel weren't having it, partly because his sons, uh, which may sound familiar, were rotten and corrupt. But let's go ahead and read the story. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Again, 1 Samuel is way at the beginning of your Bible in a section uh, some the Jew, Jewish people today know as the Hebrew Bible. You might hear some folks today refer to this as the Hebrew Bible. Uh, but 1 Samuel chapter 8, I'll read it here. We'll have the words on your screen. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, again Samuel, the, the, the guy in charge, at Ramah and said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. God said, You've rejected me. The people have rejected me from being king over them. So I want you to notice one thing here. The people said to Samuel, we want you to appoint us a king like the other nations. Like everybody else is doing it. That's what we want you to do for us. And God instructs Samuel, if you keep on reading in this chapter, God instructs Samuel to tell the people everything that will go wrong if they have a king. So he gives them this long speech, this long diatribe, describing everything that bad that will happen. He'll draft your sons into the army. He'll, he'll take your daughters to serve in his household. He'll steal your best produce. He'll tax you to death. I mean, it was a litany of problems. It's so bad, Samuel said, that you'll cry out to God. You will cry out to God wishing you'd done things differently. But uh, let's read the story. And I... You know, spoiler, I bet you can guess what happens. So, 1 Samuel 8, 19 through 20. 
But the people refused to listen. Surprise, surprise. They said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us so that we might be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us to fight our battles. Again, we want to be like other nations. We want to be like other nations. Hmm. Despite the relative peace, prosperity, and security they had, despite the moral problems associated with having a ruler, uh, despite the values that contradicted the way that God had taught them and, the, and was leading them, despite the very real costs they would have to pay as people, the people still wanted a king. This is what happens when we find ourselves emotionally enmeshed, emotionally connected with the emotion and reactivity of the people around us. We lose our principles, we lose our resiliency, and we lose our imagination and creativity, and we do things that hurt us, hurt us in the end. The people of Israel did something that hurt them in the end. Again, Samuel's sons may have been bad leaders, but the best answer the people could come up with was, uh, just give us a king like everyone else. Like, that's the best they could do? I mean, hardly an original thought, but this is what happens when we find ourselves wrapped up in the emotionality of the people around us. We look for easy answers and quick fixes rather than looking for solutions and taking responsibility for ourselves. As you're probably well aware, earlier this week was the presidential election. And I don't know if you can tell, but I'm actually wearing my, my this is my most patriotic outfit that I could come up with. <laughs> I know it's sad, but I, I have my blue sweatshirt, my white shirt on, then my red, oh, touch the microphone. Somewhere here's my red mask lanyard, and I'm wearing my Yankees hat, because Americans were, were called Yankees overseas, right? We're, we're, we're Yankees. So this is my best patriotic outfit I could come up with. Now, barring some sort of electoral disaster, the results of this election have been tallied and a winner has been declared. I'm saying this because I'm recording this message before Tuesday, November 4th. And I, and I know you're probably thinking, what? Like, Lauren, of all the times that you'd want to be preaching live or preaching in response to what just happened, like, wouldn't now be the time? And trust me, I understand. I spent a lot of time praying and delivering over the, the timing and content of this message. In my tradition, pastors many times often find themselves writing and rewriting their message on Saturday uh, evenings in response to something that's happened throughout the week. But as I thought about the text, as I thought about this process, this principle of social, emotional connection and reactivity, I couldn't help but notice the connection. The emotions of the people hung on the results of the outcome of an election. For the people of Israel, their emotions hung on the results of the outcome of an election. Now, please don't 
please don't think I want to dismiss or diminish in any way the very real suffering that could come to migrants, to refugees, to people of color, to LGBT+. I don't want to dismiss that at all. That could come about as a result of this election, depending on who was elected, or in reality, could still be determined. Again, I'm recording this before, I don't know. But the fact remains is even if the other guy won the election, and I hope you can catch my drift, even if that other guy won the election, there will still be a global pandemic happening. There will still be an ongoing humanitarian crisis at the border. There will still be a centuries-long problem with racism in our nation. And it's not going to be fixed overnight regardless of who is elected. And at that point, no matter how we feel today, whether we are conscious, I can't talk, cautiously optimistic uh, because of the election of a new president, or we're feeling this overwhelming sense of doom because of the re-election of the current president, these fundamental truths remain. We are still, we are still beloved children of God, valued and loved beyond measure, entrusted or tasked and trusted, I guess, with acting out of that same love and welcome of God to ensure love and justice for all of our neighbors. In truth, in truth, this is why I am recording this before the election. Because regardless of the outcomes of the, of the election, regardless of the election outcome, this will still be true. It will still be true. So before I wrap up, I want to leave you with three things, three thoughts to take for yourself. The first thought is to take a deep breath. Let's just take it, let's just pause for a moment. Take a deep breath. One of my favorite seminary professors would say something like this, that the best thing we can do when we're tempted to respond out of anger or emotion is to take a deep breath. Because literally, I, like our brain needs oxygen to fully function, and it'll give us a moment to process our thoughts. So take a deep breath. The second thing I want you to do is to own your feelings. I'm going to reference another movie with a hierarchical uh, context. Perhaps you remember the movie Princess Diaries with Anne Hathaway, and don't judge me for you know, appreciating that movie, but come on, Anne Hathaway, still a crush. So in that movie, Anne Hathaway's character, she's driving around in a limousine, and her friend, like, insults her, and the limousine driver, her kind of like quasi-mentor, gets out and says to her, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. The same principle holds true in regard to our emotions. We're responsible for how we feel and act. So I want you to own your feelings. No one can make you upset, angry, hurt without your consent. Own your feelings. The third thing I want to say is be persistent because change 
takes time. Whether it's the current president or there's a new president being elected, there will be, uh, there will be like a process. Change takes time and we have to keep at it. We can't think everything is going to be fixed overnight regardless of the outcome of this election. Now, again, I'm not saying we stop working and stop caring. I'm not saying that injustice doesn't need to be addressed sooner rather than later. It does need to be addressed yesterday, to be honest. But what I'm saying is quick fixes, going after quick fixes often makes things worse. We need to keep working and persisting for real substantive substantial, whatever word we want to say, change. So be persistent. Keep on keeping on, no matter, no matter who is the president, we still have a lot of work to do to ensure love and justice and dignity for all people in our nation. And as Christians, we have even more work to do to ensure this happens. And I was, as I was thinking about how to end this message, my mind drifted to the book of James, which finds itself at the other end of the Bible in the New Testament, at the back end of the Bible. And the Bible, uh, the book of James in the Bible is, is a book that's all about encouraging people to be people of faith. And as I thought about my message about being, uh, being a person who's not tossed about with emotionality and influenced by others, I couldn't help but think of the first chapter in the book of James. In, in the first chapter of the book of James, he writes, For without faith we're like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, double-minded, unstable in all our ways. And though this bigger concept that we're talking about in this message series, family systems theory, is not about faith per se, I can't help but notice that being a person of faith seems like a good prescription for all these problems. People of faith act with principle and conviction. They keep going even when things seem dark, and they're, they're able to think imaginatively and prophetically. Whatever happened Tuesday, whatever is still in the process of happening, whatever is going to happen on, when is, uh, when is Inauguration Day, January 16th, something like that? Whatever happens in between this chunk of days... There's still a lot more to do. There's still a lot of work to be done. And we're going to need real, powerful, brave, strong, faithful people and leaders to do the right thing. So no matter the results of the election, rather than being an unstable person, driven and tossed by the winds in the swirling sea of social media, friends or society at large, rather than being just constantly doom scrolling through that vortex of despair, I want you to act in faith, knowing that God is with you, that you have a job to do, and that you can make a difference in this world for God. Thank you for listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast. You can watch our weekly services on Facebook Live every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And to learn more about joining a group or serving with us, visit our website at mgthornton.org.